Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja, a digital marketing agency that helps our clients get more sales through their websites. And that's exactly what this show is all about. Now, in this episode today, we're going to be talking about a topic which has been particularly on our minds here at Exposure Ninja over the last few months. As we've noticed that more and more of our clients are falling down this certain hole and it not necessarily just the small businesses that are falling down this hole actually larger businesses are falling down this hole as well and the hole is positioning or targeting whatever the word is basically identifying exactly what it is that you sell and exactly who you sell to now this is a challenging topic because it's not always obvious if you've got this wrong But it is obvious when you've got it right. You feel a certain resonance with your target audience and growth tends to be easier. And we certainly feel when a business has very clear positioning inside Exposure Ninja because ads tend to work better, the content's easier to target, we can ask the client questions and they can give us very concise answers. Whereas when things are a little bit wrong, they have hazy positioning, they're uncertain exactly where they should be targeting. Things are more difficult, basically. So in this episode, I'm talking to Jeff Kennedy about this particular topic. Now, Jeff is an experienced marketer with a variety of different roles behind him, as we'll talk about in the episode. And what we try and do is drill down into this topic. Um, So I hope it's useful and I hope it helps guide you to clear positioning and um, some very clear audience targeting. Without further ado, let's go. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. So you're an experienced SEO, um, but also a very experienced digital marketer, Sainsbury's Bank, various consultancies and agencies, Visit Scotland, um, and now head of marketing at Sightbulb. Amazing SEO tool, by the way. Um, Anything I missed from that short CV? (laughs) Quite a few things in between there. Yeah, a bit of all sorts. Um, I mean, my main thing that um, quite a few people don't know about at the moment is I split my time between being head of marketing at Sightbulb and farming. So <laughs> that's quite a, um, a mix I have, um, my family's place. But beyond that, I've done kind of a bit of all sorts. So, I mean, obviously I'm doing marketing now, but like you said, my background is in SEO. Um, but various different guises with that um a bit more on the the management the people side of it um managing clients but earlier days it was a lot more technical um so yeah i like to hope i'm a bit more rounded if not a specialist (laughs) perfect yeah well that's what we like here i think um getting too technical with seo in podcast form isn't always uh what people are after (laughs) yeah So, okay, I I totally didn't know that about the farming. Um, I don't really know where to start with that. But if we if we look at (laughs) uh, what your role in Sightbulb at the moment, like what's a typical day like? What are your main kind of responsibilities with Sightbulb? Um, It's I mean, we're very small business. That's one of the main things like a lot of others. So only recently we've split our roles up a bit more. So the 
Cybub is at the moment essentially myself and Patrick and Gareth, the two founders. Um, so I started about 18 months ago on the team. And since then, we've been kind of finding our feet to where each of us sit. Because before I started, it was very much um, Gareth did all of the development and Patrick did everything else. Um, and since I started, I've been obviously looking at the marketing side, but Patrick was still doing quite a bit of that. And more recently, we've split it more to he's looked after um, customer success, to put a, yep. a, a wank, wanky title on it. Um, and I've focused solely on the marketing side of things. Um, what that means in reality is still a bit all over the place. Um, I, I mentioned to you in my email about the positioning. So that was a big piece of work I did early on. Um, and off the back of that, what we've we spent a year pretty much testing tactics and um, bits and pieces of strategy. And now day to day is more getting content out. Um, we have a few sort of advertising channels, more sponsorship type things. Um, use a few external writers, so keeping that sort of thing moving. Bit of social media. Um, few ads at times, like sort of AdWords, social media things. So a bit all over the place, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. If you ask me at the end of a day what I've actually done, I sometimes don't have a clue. <laughs> um, but at the minute, we're still very much in figuring out what works for Sightbulb and how we grow it. So um, a lot of what I'm doing is putting processes together for what I'm doing so that we can grow that if we get more team members in or we're outsourcing particular parts. Awesome. Sounds uh, yeah, very much like the, the the fun and fluid stages uh, of, uh, of early business, really, isn't it? The three person yeah. thing. Everyone's spinning a whole bunch of plates. Um, today we, we wanted to talk about a, a really kind of crucial component of marketing that's often overlooked in favour of you know particular channels or tactics. Um, and that's choosing your market and proposition, which obviously, you know, it sounds like that's something that you've really um, worked on at Sightbulb. But from my observations with our, our clients, which are, you know, even up to kind of mid-sized clients, maybe 10, 15 million in revenue, this isn't always as clear as people think. And you can often trip someone up by saying, if you met your perfect customer, explain what you do and and it all kind of starts to unfold there um so obviously you know with your with your extensive background we can draw on different stories and things like that but i know you've got a story from very early on in your career where this was where this kind of really hit home on how important it was to choose your market and to be very clear about Mm. what your position was yeah so i mean i again mentioned this when we originally talked about um this care and equipment company I'd worked on. It was my first role in, well, my first job in digital in any, so I was a bit self-taught before then. But just to jump to the now, I've only really recognised what I was doing as positioning or anything like that at right. the time. Um, I mean, I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was brought <laughs> in on a sort of part-funded scheme. The owner had got someone to knock up a website and realised, well, we can make some money online here. They were very much a traditional business, but he thought, well, we can sell a few things. Um, so it was setting up the e-commerce side of the business there, selling catering equipment to, I mean, like, so restaurants, takeaways, that sort of thing. Um, but one of the really big things I found was 
um, they were selling the likes of KitchenAid mixers and Dulit toasters and these sort of things, which were all very much catering-focused products. They were commercial. Um, but it was around that time that all of the celebrity chefs were starting to get big and that, and they had them in these kitchens. So mm. we saw more selling to basically home addresses and they and sort of realized that, well, although they were focused very much on the commercial audience, um, there was often more scope for a lot of the products in a domestic audience. Mm. And it was kind of realizing how different to approach them um because it started off well we'll just sell them when the company was rather than actually mm. targeting them um but they wanted very different things and i mean some of it was practical stuff like we only showed prices um without that on the website and things like that and commercial warranties and that sort of thing so it was quite obvious well we need to have the other side of it and I mean, it was a bit sort of Jekyll and Hyde because we were doing the commercial side and domestic and we needed to get that balance, which was quite difficult. Um, but even beyond that, it was just understanding who these little niches of audience mm. were as well and what they wanted. And the biggest thing for me there with my biggest learn was because I was end to end. I mean, if I was, I was sort of doing... Google Ads and SEO um, was my main job. But if sales started coming through, I had to answer the phone and do the sales. So I was getting them questions about well, how big is this teapot and things like that. Yeah. And when stuff was getting sold, I would go through the warehouse and help the lads out sending things out. And you'd see the warranty stuff come back or the breakages and things. So joining all that sort of thing up was massive. Um, but the positioning was a really big thing because it, start looking into the different audiences and seeing well we had quite a big um cost uh, niche in um, like village halls and churches and things like that because we did a lot of crockery and these cake and teapots and started figuring out what they were actually interested in was how many cups could they get from a teapot and um would they start how high could they stack them to get them in their cupboards so all them little bits of things mm. within the products that not really been thought about so we, i mean we get new mugs in and spend that time with a measuring jug seeing how many millimeter milliliters of um tea would fit in them and daft things like that but it gave us a bit of an edge yeah and we were able to i mean we had a few different audiences but we didn't just decide to focus on one but it meant we could really drill down on what they were looking for whereas a lot of the competitors were just generic information i mean they were copy pasting the information from the um suppliers mm. and um i mean it was a practical thing for us as well because we didn't want to be stuck on the phones answering questions about all the products mm. um so i mean th th this is fascinating and it's fascinating that it didn't kind of occur to you that you know you didn't go into that job saying right we need to figure out our target audience and we need to work on our positioning this just kind of evolved because you had your eyes and ears open and you were involved with different parts of the customer journey, right? And I think yeah. it feels like, you know, there's a lot of businesses that get very fast traction. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, we, we've done a, a deep dive of, of companies like Gymshark where they just get extremely yeah. rapid traction. And it feels to me like one of the commonalities is they 
they've got this piece right from the start. And like you say, it's not because, you know, they've sat down with a spreadsheet and they've tried to work out their segment. They've just nailed it. The opportunity for businesses that haven't figured out this stuff yet is to get it right and get something that actually resonates because then it becomes a little bit more easy. It becomes a bit more natural. Mm -hmm. Like you say, you can answer the questions that people are actually asking rather than just copying and pasting. Is that your sense? And also, what was the impact, would you say, of getting this stuff right for the catering business, like sales-wise or, or otherwise? Um, I mean, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I mean, I was watching your video the other day about position as well. One of the things that you said, I think really important, that it's not ne- not just a one-off thing. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of businesses evolve, and what they were isn't necessarily what they are. And some of it's I don't know about the examples you mentioned there, but I've seen a lot that have they've gone through a period of change to then really focus on a particular audience, and that's what's resonated with people, and that's what's driven them. And mm-hmm. you'll sometimes see before that they were quite a wide business, and then they've just found that niche. Um, sorry, I would try to remember what the second part of the question was now. <laughs> well, I, I think before you go do that, I think that's a really good point. And that might also explain why some slightly larger businesses find that they've lost their identity somewhat as they've grown, because yeah. they did this in the early days that got them to an extent, they got them to a certain place and they start getting inquiries from all sorts, start catering to everyone. And before they know it, you know, a new marketing manager comes in and says, so what's going on here then? And the answer is, well, we just kind of do a bit of everything for everyone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something that um, we had a bit of experience with at Sightbulb because when I first, um, well, I was going to say when I first started, before I started, when I was first speaking to Patrick and Gareth, uh, one of the big things I sort of raised when I was speaking to them early on was that how they were talking about the tool didn't really match up to what I thought the benefit was. Um, And they completely agreed, but they'd outgrown what their positioning was before. So they'd set Cypel up as a crawler. And whereas, I mean, a lot of the other crawlers out there, they crawl, they spit out data, you get your data out the other end. Whereas what Cypel was doing was putting an interface on it. And I mean, you can manipulate um you, do, you can get graphs out all that sort of thing that isn't really a crawler so mm. what it was being sold as didn't do justice to what it actually was in reality so um that was really interesting and i mean that was what got me into positioning stuff because like i was saying i didn't have a clue what any of this was before um one of the things i liked about your other videos is um you so you always steer away from acronyms and things. And <laughs> since I've started working at Sightbull, that's when I've kind of gone into the, the SaaS world and so many acronyms. <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I don't have a clue what half of them are, but positioning was never a thing for me. Yeah. It was only when I sort of realized, well, we need to do something there. And um, I read, was it um, April Dunford's book? Um, obviously awesome. Mm. And I, I really like that because it put it in more of a practical context. Um, and a lot of the other things I'd seen had been very much theoretical. Mm. And unless you're in a big corporate, what do you actually do with positioning? Yeah. Um, so I followed a lot of her framework and put together some 
position and stuff along with um, Patrick. And it, I mean, it, there was one how we're positioning the tool, um, but also what the audience is. So there's all them bits tied up in that. Um, and it, the more we looked at it, the more it started making sense. Because mm. I think we were very guilty as well early on of just saying we're a tool for SEOs, which kind of caught. I and mean, that seems like quite a niche, but in reality, the more we started thinking about what the tool was, um, well, one, we decided it's for doing audits. It's not just for doing SEO. You can just do checks and all that sort of thing, but really where the value is for doing audits. And sort of the, the next step from that was it's not just necessarily for anyone doing SEO because if you've got your own website, you're not bothered about doing reports for clients or anything mm. like that. So where the real value comes is if you've got to deliver that to a client. Um, so that we just started drilling that down more and more. So it ended up, it's, uh, I don't know. So this is really bad because I can't remember it because I'm not <laughs> being out speaking to people. Um, but an SEO auditing tool for um, SEO professionals, which right. we define as um, agency and freelance. And I have got much more concise messaging somewhere, but um, <laughs> I mean that was essentially what I drilled down to, which it does rule out quite a lot. Mm. And it was the ruling out of other stuff that almost made things easier than the inclusion bit. Yeah. Um, because you're not trying to please everyone. That's a good point. So um, going back to the original second question, the oh. in the catering equipment um, company, you mentioned about transitioning from commercial, which feels like, you know, oh, let's just sell to a chain of restaurants. That feels like bigger orders feels like a much more established market so you'd expect the revenue would be much higher there to what might feel like a kind of niche with these you know village halls and people who wanted the same toaster as they saw with a celebrity chef what was the financial or other impact on the business of of choosing this and saying right we're going in this direction it was a really big shift um and the, the money side of it was actually quite a big thing as well because you would think that it was more a niche audience and there maybe isn't quite the the numbers there. But what we found was because they were used to selling commercially, they were squeezed on prices. Right. So um, they were like having to do discounts and compete with all these other catering equipment companies. Whereas when we went to domestic audience, all of a sudden we're competing with John Lewis that are charging another hundred quid on a, a mixer and things like that. So we were able to leverage um, the commercial side of the business in that we could buy in bulk and mm. um, that side of it and get the discount. But we could compete with the the consumer um, sellers who were charging more. So that was a big thing. But also, I mean, there was a trend going on at the time in that it was getting a lot bigger um like i mentioned before about the celebrity chefs um and that audience was just growing all the time there um and to be honest we fell upon it a little bit it turned out to be much bigger than we realized it part of it wasn't even a conscious shift until it really started ruling and then we did that there mm. um and really there's a lot more people with kitchens at home than there is commercial kitchens. So um, 
there's a hell of a lot of demand. And as well, the psychology of it was that uh, people want to be seen as having professional chef mm. equipment. So we really focused on get the same stuff as the professionals are using, yeah. which ironically, quite a lot of the time was a lot cheaper for us to get than the the domestic equipment. So because, I mean, in a commercial kitchen, a lot of this stuff was almost throwaway. They were used to going through things quite quickly, whereas at a home kitchen, well, mm. they're expecting it to last for a few years, so they're willing to pay a bit more. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, there was a lot of different stuff going on there as well. And I mean, from an advertising perspective as well, it was a lot cheaper going after the, um, the domestic audience rather than B2B um, customers. Just it was a bit less competitive at the time. Mm. Hey, it's Tim here on my own this time. If you've enjoyed this so far, then please consider subscribing to the show if you're watching this on YouTube or listening on a podcast platform where you can subscribe or follow if you're listening on Spotify. Don't forget also, if you need some help with your digital marketing, then we here at Exposure Ninja are happy to help you at no cost. That sounds mental. It almost is. Basically, what we do is offer a free website and digital marketing review. You may have had a free website review before from an agency that has used our strategy. <laughs> But these reviews are amazing. So if you go to ExposureNinja.com, you'll see a big button to request your free website and marketing review. We'll ask you a few questions about your business, your digital marketing goals, and your competitors. And we will then put together a 15 minute video showing you the things that you should be focusing on over the next six to 12 months to significantly increase the volume of sales that your website generates for you. The service is completely free of charge. Yep. That's right. Now, obviously, if you like the recommendations and want to work with us, then we can have that conversation. But there is absolutely no obligation to do so. So head over to ExposureNinja.com to request your free website and marketing review today. So if it's possible to kind of um, generalize this experience and, and look at your, your your other background and stuff. So let's say we've got a listener who's who's got a bit of a nagging doubt that they've their business where their marketing manager or business owner has kind of evolved into a much of a muchness type um, where they're maybe targeting the wrong audience or they haven't picked an audience. I guess, first thing, how does someone identify that they have an opportunity here? How, how does someone know that the situation they're in is suboptimal? What are the red flags that you're looking for which say, right, we haven't quite nailed this? Um. I think getting other people involved mm. is a good one. I mean, I was lucky at the time when I was starting to work with Cypub in that I was fresh eyes. I'd, I'd tested it in beta and stuff, but I hadn't looked at it in ages, which I had to gloss over for <laughs> trying to get a job with them. But um, I mean, it was a good position to be in because I was coming in not knowing what it was. Mm -hmm. And I think once you've been in a business, it's quite difficult. So getting external people in and just getting your stuff in front of them and saying what is this mm. is this for you um because you you do get too caught up in your bubble so that's part of it and then the existing customers i think is a, a really good resource as well and figuring out who who your product or service is the most value to so um I mean, we did this a bit with Sightbulb and went out to load of our customers and found out, well, what do you think of the tool and 
which bits do you think are most valuable and all that sort of thing. And you start realizing what the the category of people find it of most value. So if you've got lots of people that are like, yeah, it's an okay tool, you're, you're not really nailing it. Mm. Um, whereas if you've got a, well, if everyone loves it, great, you're probably doing it quite well. But chances are there's probably a certain group of people that it's amazing for, and other people are okay. Mm. They're the ones that are probably either not going to come back to buy what you've sold them again, or they may or may not cancel in a month's time. Whereas there'll be a, your core audience is the one you want more of. Yeah. So you figure out what they look like and expand that. So it sounds like one of the commonalities between your breakthroughs with um, with the catering equipment business and Sightbob is listening. And this isn't like a strategic exercise with, you know, the management team in a room. This is going out to your customers, observing who's buying, look at the, looking at the addresses, getting a feel for, for what's out there. So this is probably quite a, um, you know, it's quite a qualitative piece of work, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, very much qualitative. And I think as well that you've got to sometimes just make judgment calls in there. I think the scariest bit for a lot of people is that you're, it feels like you're ruling people out. That by drilling down to a core audience, you're saying, well, these people aren't my customers, so they mm. can't have my product or whatnot. Whereas reality is you're just focusing who you're going after. Mm. Um, and that was something that it was almost a hard discussion with um, Patrick and Gareth sometimes because you're saying, well, we're not going after them, like the developers or the the person that are doing SEO for our own website and things. Um, and it's just going through what you do, going through your product almost and think, well, who was this a value to? Not who could it be useful to? Mm. Because yeah, I think there's a danger of whatever, I mean, the likes of bread that you just mentioned there that, I mean, everyone could eat it, but there's probably a very uh, a much tighter audience that really want it. Mm. And they're the ones you want to go after rather than trying to get everyone. And I mean, with most audiences that we're going after, I mean, this is a big assumption, but we don't need to be selling it to everyone. Mm. If we can capture a niche of it and get all of them on board, um, that's a big thing. I think that is the quantitative side to it mm. that, is quite important and we struggled with a bit as well that knowing how big that audience is so for the example of us like it would have been really handy if we could have got a hold of data saying well there's x number of seos and this proportion of them are in agencies and this proportion are, are freelancers and stuff i mean we had some guidance things but that was a big concern for us oh mm. is the niche that we're choosing big enough to support what we're doing. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest worries for a lot of people. So, I mean, that leads really nicely. It's like you've got my notes in front of you, but that leads really nicely onto the next question, which is when you have a suspicion or when you have an inkling that there's a particular customer that you want to go after, how do you validate that? And what do you put in place? Like What you don't do, right, is just take down the website and put something else up, which is just purely targeted at them. So, how do you start to test that assumption and 
And when you do go full in, what are you looking for to say, right, this is the right approach to take? Um, I mean, for us, I mean, we just spent a lot of time with us two of us going through and mapped out, like took who we thought was a core audience and just mapping out what they looked like, which was a much more messy thing than it gets made out when they're talking about frameworks and things, but just who are they, what do they do, that sort of thing, and took what we thought was our proposition and just trying to be really critical ourselves of, well, is this of any use to them? And keeping going through and trying to put yourself in their shoes. And that took us so much of the way because there was a bit of realisation with a lot of things that stuff we had in our proposition early on was just, well, why should they be bothered about this? Why is it important to them? I mean, even things like um, we looked at price and you think, well, for an SEO within an agency, is it them paying for it or is it the accounts department? Because there's a lot of, especially SaaS tools and things like that, it's not the individual that's that bothered about the price, to a certain degree anyway. Um, so there's certain things that we had in our minds that were very much drivers that we thought, well, actually, it's not that big a thing. We should be focusing on other areas. So once we got to a point where we thought we were happy, um, we then spoke, started speaking to other people. Um, and I think initially we spoke to existing users, people we knew, that sort of thing, and said, well, does this match how you value the tool? Mm. So we knew they were people that were getting a lot of value from it. They were the ones that really loved it. So did this match up to how they saw it? And there was a few things that they turned around and said, well, actually, it's this other thing that I really like about it. Um, or this bit, it isn't of any interest to us. So that helped us evolve a little bit more. Um, and then I suppose the stage that we're in now still is testing it to the wider audience and mm. seeing, does it actually work? Um, I suspect if we were a bigger business and had a bigger team and more numbers, like whether that be customers or incoming um, leads to deal with, we could have done a much more quantitative approach, mm. whereas we kind of done a bit more qualitative and finger in the air. <laughs> I, I, you know, I have a sneaking suspicion that there's always going to be an element of that and that the components you've just run mm. through are, are are pretty much what there is to run through. So you mentioned there about um, thinking through what are, you know, you're putting yourself in the customer's shoes, right? And and it feels like a lot of the quantitative data that people collect around this stuff is just enabling them to understand and being able to model the customer. So as long as you can put yourself in the customer's shoes, then you're actually in a pretty good position to make some of these decisions. And it seems like quite a lot of the time, the data that people collect is basically just around that. And you can replicate that by spending time on the phone or in person or on video calls mm -hmm. with your perfect customer until you get to the stage where you're able to kind of make decisions and think as them, which is such a powerful position for a marketer to be in, isn't it? Because then you can yeah. bounce ideas off this, this kind of avatar in your head rather than just making arbitrary decisions and just plucking stuff out of the air. Yeah. I think just getting someone as well, um, like that would we within your target audience just to ask you questions mm. and like about the product because I mean this is something that I've been looking at for 
bricks and mortar business and that recently. One of my sort of bugbears that small businesses, especially, you see a lot likes of I don't know, Baker, for example, again, that there's an assumption that you know what they sell or what they do and things. And um, I spoke to a few recently that they, they're a, we're a baker, we bake stuff. And well, do you do cakes? Do you do birthday cakes? Do you do special cakes? Can I pre-order? What are your opening hours and things? And there's, it, I was going to say arrogance. It's not an arrogance. It's just an assumption that people would already know things. Yeah. And it's often the most basic parts. I mean, so many sort of bricks and mortar businesses I've seen that don't keep their um, opening hours up to date. And it's sometimes them fundamentals that can make or break. Mm. Um, and it's the same with SaaS tools or whatever it is online. I mean, the amount of businesses still see that don't have clear details about their delivery stuff. And they well, you might do all your product stuff amazing, people might want to get, but if they can't figure out when it's going to turn up or how it's going to turn up or anything, then you could just be blocking yourself at the final hurdle there or yeah. the first hurdle. Which well, <laughs> exactly. And I think there'll be listeners thinking, yeah, well, we're a bigger company, like we're successful, so we've got this stuff figured out. And I would, I would, uh, th- there are going to be a lot of people in larger companies who are listening. I'm, we've got a client now. I'm not going to say who they are, but they run a very successful, financially successful business um, doing something very complex for developers of really, really large enterprise corporate clients and go on their website. You cannot figure out what it is that they do or for who. And it's so obvious to them because like you say, they're the baker. They spend all their time baking. And then they get these leads from referrals, which is great, but except when it, when you don't get leads from referrals anymore and you need to go out to the cold audience and get leads, you need to be more like more than just, well, I'm just here making these 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 loaves of bread. You actually need to go out to people and say, if you want the best bread you've ever tasted, come here and this is what you need to do and this is who we bake it for. Like th- that positioning, that that kind of marketing mindset needs to exist. And I think so often it doesn't. And we can make a mistake of thinking that this is just a you know one man band type problem. Yeah, I think in sort of the tech space and marketing, especially where the worst culprits, which there's always this. I don't know. I find myself doing it as well that you feel like you need to use fancy words and big things like <laughs> that. And I mean exactly what you were just saying there. I've looked at quite a few sites recently. You look at and you read through all these really good sound and things I uh, yeah don't know what it does <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it, it's really good but I, I just don't know what it's supposed to do um and it yeah I, I'm sure we're the worst people for it a lot of I'm, time I'm sure we are I think it probably gets worse the more you've kind of internalized it doesn't it so mm. you know the the biggest agencies in the world if you go on their website good luck trying to figure out what they do or who, who they do it for it's all stories and video show reels and you just is it a video company? Is it a marketing? No idea. So broad, so general. It's just useless to everyone. Hey, it's Tim here on my own this time. If you've enjoyed this so far, then please consider subscribing to the show if you're watching this on YouTube or listening on a podcast platform where you can subscribe or follow if you're listening on Spotify. Don't forget also, if you need some help with your digital marketing, then we here at Exposure Ninja are happy to help you at no cost. That sounds mental. It almost is. Basically, what we do is offer a free website and digital marketing review. You may have had a free website review before from an agency that has used our strategy. (laughs) 
But these reviews are amazing. So if you go to ExposureNinja.com, you'll see a big button to request your free website and marketing review. We'll ask you a few questions about your business, your digital marketing goals, and your competitors, and we will then put together a 15-minute video showing you the things that you should be focusing on over the next six to 12 months to significantly increase the volume of sales that your website generates for you. The service is completely free of charge. Yep, that's right. Now, obviously, if you like the recommendations and want to work with us, then we can have that conversation, but there is absolutely no obligation to do so. So head over to ExposureNinja.com to request your free website and marketing review today. All right, let's see if we can turn this into a kind of action step sequence for the audience. And this might be a little bit ambitious, but I'm feeling ambitious. I'm full of some very decent bread right now. So someone's listening, they're thinking, right, this, this sounds like it could be me. This sounds like something I might need to do. Step one, diagnosis. How do we know if this is an issue for us? I'd say one of the most powerful things is just get a stranger to look at your site or whatever your materials are and get them to repeat back to the, you, what is it I do? Yeah. Killer. I, yeah. Okay. So we've got an answer there, which doesn't make us happy. They struggle for a bit or they told us something that's completely wrong. What's the next thing that we do in this journey? I don't know if it's quite a linear process, but I suppose in there somewhere, we need to figure out who who the audience needs to be. Mm-hmm. We can't optimize for that audience until we've figured out who we want to go after. So it maybe sort of runs in parallel to that, that you take, look at your product or service or whatever it is, and just think, well, what is what are the valuable bits to it? Mm. Or speak to your speak to your um, VIP customers or the, the people that are shouting about you. And talk, ask them what what's the thing that gives you the most value out of it. What do you like about it most? Yeah, and figure out if that sits with who you're going after. And if not, that's when you need to figure out a better a better realization of your audience. So that's we've got ask a stranger, get some weird feedback. We've got get calibrated with your customers, kind of understand where they're at and start to draw out some of the, I guess, bouncing their language back to them, draw draw out some of the stuff that's most meaningful for them. Step three, it sounds like um, using that calibration and kind of coming up with a, a theory of what positioning looks like, would you say? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think you've got to have something to start with to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And then you mentioned earlier, kind of bouncing that back with one of your customers. And, and you said that you talk to some of the Sitebulb customers to, to to kind of make sure that you're on the right track and validate that hypothesis before you go all in. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it just seems to be you've got the two different parts. One is your product and the message and everything. And the other is the audience. Mm. It's just going back and forwards and mm. start off doing it yourself and sort of with a persona and working out well are they matching up do we think they're matching up and then replace the persona with a real person and start bouncing off real people if you can scale that up great if you can sort of i don't know do some kind of um research or run ads do a bit of split testing um and test what you put together 
Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll sometimes test uh, ad copy using different benefits or different kind of positioning statements. And if you're mm-hmm. if you're confident that your audience is right, then you can measure for click through rate and conversions to see what's kind of resonating the most, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Jeff, we just built the perfect positioning four step sequence. We should put some fancy acronym on that. We should, yeah, <laughs> but I'll never remember. <laughs> Jeff, this has been awesome. Um, where can people find out more about you? And of course, check out Sightbulb. Um, best place to find myself is probably Twitter. I waste a bit of time on there. So um, Jeff Kennedy on there, pretty simple. Um, oh, and if you'd like to try Sightbulb out, you get a free trial on the website or drop me a message and I'll sort you out. Perfect. Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. If you've enjoyed this, then for more details about all of our podcasts, you can head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash podcast. And please do leave us a review or a comment on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this on. Of course, I'm assuming that you've already subscribed, right? If you haven't, you know what to do. And finally, don't forget that if you want some free help with your digital marketing, then you can request a free website and marketing review from us here at Exposure Ninja. Just go to ExposureNinja.com and click the big button to request your free website and marketing review. The team will create a 15 minute video showing you the lowest hanging fruit and the opportunities for growth over the next six to 12 months. They'll have a look at your website, your conversion optimization. They'll even give you some feedback on your positioning because it's always useful to have a third party's opinion. And of course, we'll show you what you need to work on over the next half to one year in order to generate significantly more sales through your site. So head over to ExposureNinja.com to request your free website and marketing review today. I'll see you in the next episode.